Our uh, evening worship service that we're doing in the month of July is meant to be relaxed. It is uh, meant to be a lot less, you might say, structured. Uh, it's meant to be at a different time, of course, than Sunday morning. And uh, uh, it'll be also be a, a different message. So uh, uh, as we get going now, I want to take us back to that word that was used, uh, Yahweh. I didn't know we were going to be singing that song, but it really maybe should be the theme song of what we're doing this month. The word Yahweh uh, as a name for God is the name that God told Moses, this is who I am, because Moses said, who am I, 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 I mean, when I go back to Pharaoh, what am I going to say? Who sent me? They won't believe me. And he says, just tell them Yahweh sent you. Yahweh means I am what I am. Or if you look at the world in terms of cause and effect, he says, I'm the cause. There's no other cause before me. And everything comes out of my effect. Um, I am self-existent. There's nothing before me. There's nothing that made me. I am that God. Well, if you keep that in mind, uh, we are about to understand that I can say that, and um, yet I don't always operate that way. I'm told that in computers there's two great operating systems. Now, I am not a computer expert. I'm going to be speaking about science tonight. I'm not a scientist, okay? But I do a lot of reading and a lot of studying and a lot of talking to people. And the two great operating systems for com computers are Microsoft and Apple. Am I right? Is, is there another one that I haven't? Okay. That most of us do that. When you get to telephones, you're either going to use the Apple phone or the iPhone or, or the Android. And those are the options that you have. In essence, these uh, options are what we call operating systems. It is the approach that you will take as you use your computer and how it does all of its functions. And that is why for people like me who aren't, uh, who, you know, who, who don't go from one to the other a lot, if I was to switch suddenly to Apple, there would probably be a lead up time of several months before I felt like I could operate successfully on it. Now, our, uh, each of us in our beings, you might say, has an operating system that we use. And uh, social scientists call this worldviews. And I want to resurrect a series that I did several years ago about the worldviews that we see uh, in the people that we know. And understand that there's several worldviews, and I've been reading several books about it, and a new one has just come out by a, a man that I read a lot of, Rabbi Zacharias. And they're looking at whether it's going to be a spiritual worldview or a secular one. Now, since I was 17, I've been operating in what I call the Judeo-Christian worldview. I, I'm not perfect at it, uh, but I am growing in it. And yet we also understand that our Western civilization is moving more and more into what I call a secular worldview, 
In other words, leaving God out. Now, I love education. I love our schools and all of that. But in the midst of our education system, the, the movement is we cannot even mention God. We cannot bring him up. We cannot raise him as a possibility. We've just got to stick to the facts. Even more so as you go to university. Uh, and even more so as you're dealing with government. So here I am in an operating system that I'm trying to grow in. And I realize that many of the... Uh, uh, functions or, or many of the institutions around me don't even dare mention it. So for the next few weeks, I want us to look at what are some of these alternative views, alternative to what I am very good at and what I've been studying for years. And maybe as you study them, you'll also come up with this uh, realization. I'm sort of moving between one and the other. I, I, I do believe in Jesus Christ, but, but I, I, I'm also over here. One of, my, one of my great friends in this community uh, once looked at me and said, Jim, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I really do believe that. But he can't be God. And I went, excuse me. I, I don't quite, that, that doesn't compute. You're, you're using one operating system and, 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 and you're trying to uh, integrate it with mine and it doesn't work. Christ, that's what it means, that he is God, that he's God's son. And so we do move back and forth and back and forth. So in, in four of the five weeks that we're together on Sunday night, I want to deal with uh, what it means to uh, uh, confront to engage a secular world system, a, a secular worldview. And as I look at it, there's probably, oh, four basic worldviews operating in, in, in our Western culture right now. There's the Judeo-Christian one, which you come from, otherwise you wouldn't be here on a Sunday night. But there's also one secular materialism another one, secular pantheism, and a final one we call uh, secular humanism. Now, we're going to deal with secular materialism basically saying science is God, that the ultimate authority in what we should believe is only what we discover from science. Now, when I say that, I want you to know that I, I consider nutrition a science. Do you realize how much that science has changed in the last 20 years. When I first moved here, I was uh, on a diet that everybody said, you're going to die. If you keep eating that way, you're going to die. Here I am. The thing that almost killed me was cancer, not the diet, okay? So uh, uh, we realize that it's changing, it's morphing as we get more and more information. Uh, something else, I was talking to, to a nutritionist in our church to tell you, uh, to explain how much si uh, uh, science and especially in nutrition has changed. Uh, I said, you know, I've, I've switched from this non-nutritive sweetener to this nutritive sweetener. And she goes, oh, that one's bad for you too. Okay, well then I'm going to go to this Oh, she goes, and, and she goes, well, that, that one, yeah, that one's probably pretty good. But less than a year later, she goes, that'll kill you too. And, and so I say, well, 
I've gone through five or six in my lifetime staying away from sugar because I'm told sugar will kill you. And I said, well, so what, what should I do to sweeten things? And your answer was, have you tried sugar? No. Things are changing as we get to know uh, more and more of the facts uh, that come out as we study science. Well, if we're looking at uh, science is God or secular materialism, I want you to know that there are certain core values of secular materialism. And by that, I mean, what is secular materialism? Well, secular materialism, by definition, is the belief that all that exists in the world is ultimately reducible to material phenomena. In other words, we cannot observe it, we cannot test it, we cannot measure it, it does not exist. It's a material world only. Material world. Somebody sang a song about that. And like every other worldview, secular materialism comes from a set of what I call core values. And core values describe how we operate in this system. The first core value of secular materialism is that everything is a thing. It exists. If it does exist, it's either material or energy, and there's nothing beyond those two realms. Secondly, we say only science has truth. The physical universe is the only truth that really exists, and there's no certain knowledge beyond science, and thus no truth beyond this material existence. Next core value is that uh, the universe is random and purposeless. That means all humanity within the universe, uh, we exist only because somehow we are very, 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 very lucky. And eventually it's all going to fall apart anyway. Wake up to that tomorrow morning. Next, there's no such thing as a miracle. There's only verified cause and effect actions that occur. There can be no supernatural events, no creation, no virgin birth, no healings by supernatural uh, miracles, and no resurrection of the dead. When somebody once told me, well, there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, then I said, well, where is Jesus? Where'd he go? Why can't we find him? There was silence. Uh, and finally, there's an ethic behind what I call secular materialism. And that basic ethic is natural selection. In other words, survival of the fittest, as Darwin called it. Or in the words of the deceased owner of the Oakland Raiders, Al Davis, just win, baby. What counts is that you come out on top. One of the great thinkers of the 1900s was a man by the name of Bertrand Russell. And I want to let his words as a secular materialist sink in to you. He comes to this conclusion, that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end they were achieving. His origin is his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are about the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris 
of a universe in ruins. Wow. I wouldn't want to spend a weekend with him. But that really has to be the, 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 the moving conclusion. That has to be where you end up. And that, you know, you just try your very hardest to survive, and that means you have to beat up on other people. And yet understand that not all philosophers, not all scientists, not all of the great thinkers of the world, even, even some uh, what you might call um, uh, uncomfortable agnostics, they look at secular materialists and they say, not so fast. One of the men I had to study in college was a philosopher by the name of Anthony Flew, uh, an Englishman and a devout atheist. And uh, before he died, in fact, he died about two years ago, and in the last 10 years of his life, he had a change of heart. And he became not uh, necessarily a Christian, but a theist. He believed that there was a God, and he, then he had to explain it to all of his students. And, and as he explained it, it goes something like this. Flew ultimately concluded after careful philosophical analysis of scientific data ooh, 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 that he believed that this universe's intricate laws manifest what scientists have called the mind of God. I believe that life and reproduction originate in a divine source, he explains. And then he goes on to say, why do I believe this? Given that I expounded and defended atheism for more than half a century, science spotlights three dimensions of nature that point to God. The first is the fact that nature obeys laws. The second is the dimension of life, of intelligently organized and purpose-driven beings which arose from matter. And the third is the existence of nature itself. Some very careful thinkers, as they go through their lives, realize that secular materialism does not work. So what's the alternative? The Judeo-Christian view is one that's been around since, let me see, I did the math this, uh, this afternoon. It is over um, uh, 3,300 years, no, over 4,000 years old. And we've been working on it and restating it since the time of Moses. It is an amazing set of principles, but it begins with God. And uh, we understand that there is a God. He revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh, the self-existent one. There is no other gods but him. And he is the creator of the universe. From Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then these three words. And God said. And you get into day one, day two, all the way through day six. You see, real science is divided on the issue, and wise thinkers know that secular materialism uh, or, or secular materialists uh, have a very uh, obvious bias in their lives. From the very beginning of human history, people have looked at the universe with, 
with a sense of awe and wonder. Uh, last night, the, the moonlight came through my window as I was falling asleep. And then I woke up again. You have to understand, at my age, I wake up a lot at night, okay? And I woke up again, and the moon was gone, and the glow was gone, and all I had was the starlight. And I looked out at the stars, and I was amazed at their brightness. I know something about how far away they are. I know something about you know, how this universe began from, from God's perspective. And, and as I look at it, I, I understand it's more than I can absorb. There's a sense of awe and wonder. I feel very small as I, as I look at the expanse of nature. Uh, and I also realize uh, from God's point of view that God, as he is the creator of the universe, says it is here for a reason. It is here for a purpose. It has a beginning. I am the one behind it. I am an intelligent one. And so Moses said quite clearly that uh, a supernatural person uh, with supernatural intelligence and supernatural power and who carries around a supernatural love for his creation is the only and the true answer to how humanity finds its place in this universe. And so God says in verse 26, let us make man in our image. Are we a collocation of atoms that just happen to clash against each other and hang on to one another? Or are, are we purposely made? Is there a great mind behind who we are and what we're like and what we're to accomplish in this life? You see, God speaks and things both become and things happen. And the key to science today is that from nothing, there is now everything that we can experience and even more beyond that. That there was an energy that seemed to explode, which we, which we call the Big Bang. And that theory has been around for over 50 years. It makes sense as we look at the universe and understand, at least according to our science today, that the universe is still expanding and both creating and dying, though, in different places. And for those of a Christian worldview, we say that science is finally catching up to Moses in Genesis. It's not quite that way because it goes far beyond what Moses was able to observe. But he started with this beginning point of God. And we understand that something somehow began it all. And the Bible says the word of God is speaking with power. So much so that God just speaks with his supernatural energy. And all that is became. So that's God in the universe. He's behind it all. If we understand that that is how God has specifically made the universe, then where does humanity fit into the universe? And David says in Psalm chapter 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So 
if the core value of secular materialism is randomness and purposelessness, the core value of the Christian worldview is that humanity is a special creation, the peak of God's uh, activity, and he's given special purpose on this planet. Now, the worldview I'm betting my life on is that the one where God exists and that I am carrying on a relationship with him in my life and that both me and all of my species have a special and honor and purpose given to us by God. I'm not an accident. And I'm not just a very lucky person to be alive. And I don't walk through life without meaning. And I have an ethic to my life besides just staying alive. This is where we have to come to a, a, a dividing line in life. Either we're going to worship the God of creation or we're going to be worshiping creation. Romans 1.25 says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So on the other side of the Christian worldview is the secular materialist. A secular person of science must invest his or her energy into facts without any God behind them. And that leads placing value upon the material itself, on the universe, on matter, and on energy. And the danger is that science will just become another false religion that worships the creation rather than the creator. One of the great philosophers, and by the way, many of our musicians are great philosophers, one of the great philosophers is Bob Dylan. And he said, you got to serve somebody. One of his great songs. You're going to be serving somebody. Will, will it be a, a, an unanimated creation? that cannot speak back to you, that cannot relate to you, or will it be the creator behind it? Uh, I'm putting all of my investment into God as the creator. And recently, as uh, uh, I, I go to the library sometimes and I read uh, back issues of uh, Scientific American, I love it. I love studying science. And recently, I've, I've seen... These, uh, these new thoughts come out, they've actually developed, and some of them are now considered proven, uh, of how these new discoveries in science are pointing to the Judeo-Christian worldview. Here's an example. Supersymmetry. Physicists have believed that there are more parts to the atom than they originally thought, but they couldn't prove it. So now, with the help of the atomic collider, which goes through France and Switzerland, they can now test for atomic particles that they believe exist only in theory. And they believe they have now found one, what they call the boson's particle, or the God particle, that proves, that the, uh, proves the universe from every atom to the farthest reaches of the cosmos has a balance to it. And the title they call it is supersymmetry. Now notice they don't call it supernatural symmetry or God's order to, to the universe, but they call it supersymmetry. At every turn they find the universe has a symmetry at every level. 
There's design. There's balance behind it. And they have to say this supersymmetry existed in the beginning. From whatever that beginning is, it had to be there. You cannot add it, otherwise it would have fallen apart. So if they look at the boson's particle through an atomic collider, we can also search way out into the galaxies. And we've discovered something else which is called galactic bubbles. It's an application of supersymmetry. And it's been discovered through astronomy. Every galaxy we thought had a black hole that sucks matters into it, that sucks matter into it, and eventually it'll suck all matter into it until there's no matter in that galaxy. So we have thought that every galaxy was like a flat disk. And as we looked at it through telescopes, that that's what we could see. And at the center of it is nothing, and it's been called the black hole. Now, you've seen Hollywood try to describe this in movies. Uh, you've seen uh, you know, other reenactments. Um, the problem is, is that if there's supersymmetry, if there's sucking down, there's got to be something on top. And now they're calling it a galactic bubble. What's a galactic bubble? Well, what you see coming through that vacuum of the black hole actually has a, uh, like a bubble on top of it. There's balance or symmetry to every galaxy. And therefore, they're saying, the lifespan of the universe is going to be much, much longer than we expect. <laughs> this is so good. The, 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 the other thing... Uh, uh, the evolutionary tree, you know, that Darwin, that Darwin first uh, threw out at us and saying there's this one source and all of humanity comes from this. Uh, uh, the unfortunate thing is the human fossil record is telling us that that's probably not true. That it's more like a vineyard. So you got this here and this here and this here and this here. And, uh, and they sort of mix together. And what we call Homo sapiens, our ancestors, they are standing alone on a branch by themselves or on a vine by themselves. This is science. And it'll you know, progress and they'll keep discovering more about it. But uh, they now believe that... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, as an example, that one of the things, one of the great things that has helped man last as long as he has, because he, he's not the strongest, sometimes he's not the smartest, but one of the things that has helped man survive is this thing called monogamy. Tell that to the bull, bull elk in Estes Park, okay? All of these written up in Scientific American. So good science and true science, they are constantly altering their conclusions as more is learned. And honest people of science carry a, around what I call an attitude of humility, knowing that what we know today may not be the final limit of our knowledge in the future, and therefore our conclusions may change. 
And something still baffles scientists after centuries of investigation. I had a biology professor in college, and uh, he was definitely a secular materialist. And he ended every lecture with, uh, here is another reason why we must believe in evolution and not in special creation. But I, I once got up the courage to ask him this question. If you could answer any question still unsettled in science today, what would it be? And he didn't give me an answer. What would it be? Well, I was just a college student then, but I've since learned there's four questions that they'll never answer. Let me give, you, give them to you. You see, questions that science still has to answer, and if you could answer any scientific question out there as a secular materialist, which one would you attack? It's your choice. First, how did matter and energy appear? How did we get something out of nothing? Second, how does life begin? How do we go from mineral to vegetable and animal? We've gotten as close as amino acids in our laboratories, but we haven't been able to give them the spark of life. And every living cell has over 40 interdependent operating engines. That means there is no gradual evolution. There wasn't 37 and suddenly 38. Every cell has these 40 that depend upon one another, and without them, the cell dies. Third, how does one single cell differentiate to form a complex organism? How do we go from a colon cell to a brain cell? Simple as that, okay? How do we go from a hair cell, which I'm failing, okay, to, let's say, a nose cell where I excel? How do we do that? No answer. And how did the human race come into being? Our studies today make the subject more complex and more uncertain than ever. I am fascinated by science. I am not threatened by it. But I am a skeptic of secular materialism. And I want you to know it is all around you people who have dabbled in secular materialism and say there cannot be a God. But when you engage them and you ask, well, how did you come to that conclusion? It wasn't science at all. It was, I heard somebody and he made sense. It was, uh, well, I, I tried this and it didn't work. Be fascinated by science. But friends, learn to engage those who believe in true science and learn to engage those who say, because of science, there can be no God. They are like all other human beings, flawed. But they love to talk about what they know and what they believe. But a truly honest scientist is very humble. A truly honest scientist knows there's more information coming. And a true, honest scientist realizes there's questions that cannot be answered. And a true scientist has the humility to admit it. I've got this story that is one of my favorite. A physicist, a chemist, and a biologist all approach God. And they go to God and they say, hey, DNA has solved all of the mysteries of life. 
God's reply is, oh, really? Hmm. Yes, the scientists say, we don't need you anymore. So God says, I tell you what, let's have a contest. Let's see who can make the best human being out of a lump of dirt. So the three scientists say, okay, God, you're on. Let's have a contest. God reaches down to the earth and he picks up a lump of dirt and he holds it in his hands. The three scientists also bend over and start to pick up a lump of dirt until God says, no, no, no. Get your own dirt. Get your own dirt. To be called Yahweh means that you depend on nobody and nothing else. You are the source. You are not dependent on anything around you. Everything is dependent upon you. Do you know people who say there's no God and what the only thing we can trust are the facts of science? Love them. Engage them. But understand there are so many things they cannot answer and they never will. Let's pray. Father, the Judeo-Christian worldview says you are behind everything that is and without you, we are nothing. Thank you that you have presented yourself and shown yourself to us, not just through the marvelous skies and the wonderful earth that we live on, but you've shown us yourself through Jesus Christ. And we want to marvel in what you've made and marvel that as a person, you would not just make us as your creation and say, look what I've made, but you would also love us, each of us, and desire a relationship with us both now and for eternity. Father, you have offered that you would take us beyond this physical life into a heavenly existence through your son, Jesus Christ. Because of that, we understand we just don't live for this life. But there is an eternity and an existence with your son, Jesus, that goes on forever. And that changes everything in this life. Thank you, Father. God's people said, amen.